Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. So, love builds up, and um, this is a, a new theme, a new focus in the Word. And, and just to say, we, we always um, seek God as to what we feel would be most relevant and helpful at any time, especially when it comes to these, these themes that we tend to have that run for several weeks or several months. And very much felt for this season that we're in, there's a lot that will be really helpful for us in this letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. I'm going to say much more about that by way of intro. I know Chris uh, did, did a bit of a background the other week as well. Um, and there's much to say about, uh, particularly, uh, the kingdom of God, culture, clashes of cultures, what it means to be God's community of people, uh, there's much in the book, as you probably, probably the m- things most people know about are either the chapter on love, which we'll come to, or the chapters concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the charismatic things. And, and I believe this series, if I could put it this way, is going to press a lot of buttons for us. Um, by way of my own bit of background, um, Corinth uh, was a city that in about 150 BC, a little bit less than that, was destroyed by the Romans, the city in Greece, or the Bible often calls it Achaia. That's the biblical times for, for Greece. But Julius Caesar, in 46 BC, here's a bit of history, Julius Caesar ordered the resettlement of Corinth. And Corinth uh, quickly became a really important centre. I think Chris has shared some of this with us already. And um, I read this about Corinth. I like this phrase, a magnet for the socially ambitious. And some of this background is really helpful in understanding then what Paul's saying, why he's saying it, some of the things he addresses. And by Paul's day, so 50, 60, 70 years later, they reckon the population of Corinth was about 80,000 people. So quite a large city for the day, Growingly, growing in fame, famous city, with lots of displays of wealth, and status, uh, a really competitive spirit, and uh, a a culture in which boasting was honoured. And in fact, watching two people boasting is like like sparring together. Who could boast the more about their successes? That became kind of a pastime. You'd go and watch people boasting. It's funny, isn't it? But when you get to 2 Corinthians, that becomes really relevant because Paul is, is, is making irony of that fact when he talks about what well, he won't boast. But if, but if you want me to boast, I'll say this. So, so maybe we'll come to 2 Corinthians. But, but that was the kind of, one of the um, things that was so, uh, so significant and relevant in the city. Um, immorality was celebrated. Uh, it was a city of, of lust and licentiousness and of ego and of intellect. And, and in fact, Corinth became almost synonymous with sin and vice. Probably know some of that already, with luxury, with excess. And when we get to Acts 18, if you'd turn there now, please, this is, this is the story in Acts of Paul's um, first visit, first arrival in the city. It's during his second missionary trip. And um, if you read, well, we won't read it now, but if you, if you read from Acts uh, 18... Uh, 1 to uh, 17, I think it is, you read of Paul's, how he arrives, how he meets Aquila and Priscilla. They have fled from Rome and have come to settle themselves in Corinth. 
how he preached and he taught. And it says, many Greeks believed and were baptised. And Paul stayed there 18 months. And um, if you have a look at uh, verse 10, he has a dream one night. um, And the Lord says he's not to be afraid. He's to keep on speaking. He's not to be silent. For I'm with you and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I I have many people in this city. God says, I have many people in this city. Um, The Jews attack them and they they beat up a man named Sosthenes, who we will meet in 1 Corinthians in just a moment, and Paul leaves. And it's clear from the scriptures, Paul made at least three visits to Corinth. That first visit there in Acts 18. And then when you read 2 Corinthians, the second of the letters we have, he talks about a painful visit to Corinth which appears to be something separate to this first visit that we read about here. And then um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, he plans for a third visit. And in Acts Acts, um, 20, it says he went again for three months. So Paul visited this city a few times. And he wrote a number of letters to them. How many people know how many letters Paul wrote to Corinth? Shout out. Oh! (laughs) Not many are wise amongst you. <laughs> You're right. He wrote, he wrote probably four letters, of which we have the, uh, the first and the third, because, sorry, the second and the, and the fourth, I beg your pardon, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he talks about the previous letter. So there's something he wrote before we get to 1 Corinthians. And then in uh, 2 Corinthians chapters, well, so, several times in 2 Corinthians, he talks about a tearful letter which doesn't seem to be 1 Corinthians. So it looks like there was something before, then 1 Corinthians, then a tearful letter, and then, and then 2 Corinthians. And, he's, and, and, and 1 Corinthians is one of the earliest books that Paul wrote. He wrote Galatians and probably Thessalonians, Thessalonians before that. Um, and in fact, he wrote that most of Paul's early letters were written before the first of the Gospels were written, which is Mark's Gospel. So this is an early letter of Paul, And if you turn with me and look at chapter 1, verse 11. He's kind of addressing at least a couple of things in this letter. He says in chapter 1, verse 11, It's been reported to me about you, my brothers, by members of Chloe's household, that there are quarrels among you. So so he's heard something and he's now addressing it. And the first of those things is that they're quarreling. And then in chapter 7, so he deals with a number of things that he's become aware of, concerns that he has. Then chapter 7, he says, and now about the things that you wrote to me about. So then he he starts to address the questions they've asked him. They've asked him about gifts of the Spirit, about the Lord's Supper, etc. So so Paul is writing to address some concerns, to answer some questions. And if you put the next slide up, uh, please, Adam, because he's going to go on to talk about a number of things. And in thinking about what would be most helpful for us at the moment, and I will qualify this very much in just a second, um, I felt there's there's issues in here which it'll be really good for us just to be reminded what the word says. Um, So he deals with the fact that there are divisions and factions amongst them. He, He addresses the difference between natural wisdom and spiritual wisdom. I loved when 
Deborah gave us a glimpse into heaven this morning that suddenly we're transported away from something natural and into something spiritual. Paul deals with aspects of that. He goes on to talk about spiritual immaturity, chapter 3. In chapters 3 and 4, the role of apostles and the fact that they're servants and they're fathers and they're builders. Chapter 5, he addresses some sexual immorality issues of a kind that don't even happen among the Gentiles. And then in chapter 6, disputes and lawsuits and taking each other to court and how to keep the body pure. Chapter 7, which we just had a quick look into, he starts to talk about marriage and singleness. Goes on in chapter 8 to talk about foods and and what we eat and matters of conscience. Then uh, chapter 9, the rights, the responsibilities of apostles. Chapter 10, uh, different kinds of temptations and idolatry. I will qualify why this is so relevant in just a second. And then in chapter 10, um, uh, about liberty and conscience again. And then there's a, there's, a, there's a kind of group of chapters, 11, 12, 13, and 14, which really deal with the gatherings of the church. It talks about prayer and prophecy and the uncovering and covering of the head. It talks about order around the Lord's table in chapter 11. Those spiritual gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit, charismata in chapter 12. Chapter 13, anybody know what's in 1 Corinthians 13? Love. It talks about the, the supremacy of agape love. And then uh, chapter 14, uh, prophecy, tongues, interpretation, order in the gatherings. I feel there's so much here for us. Come on to that. And then chapter 15 uh, deals with deals just the resurrection and the return of Christ. And then he ends in chapter 16 by, by descri- describing this offering that he, Paul's collecting for the churches in Judea. And he goes through some of his travel plans and he greets them. And in it all, in all this letter, Paul is, is both correcting some things and constructing things. He's, he's um, showing what's wrong, especially he's dealing with carnality, and, he, and he's explaining what's right and, and talking about spirituality. He's exposing fleshliness and, he, and he's ex, exalt, ex, exhorting spirituality. Because... And this is a, a, a remarkable thing. Despite 18 months in that place, which is the second longest time Paul spends anywhere, he spends three years in Ephesus, 18 months in Corinth. Despite 18 months in Corinth, the culture of the city has started to invade the church. And we'll come back to that. But that's kind of at the heart of what's most bothering Paul. Um, Chapter 1, if you'd flick back there, he, he writes in verse 2 to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called as saints in Corinth, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord. So do we call on the name of the Lord? Yes. This letter's for us. This letter has relevance for us. It's as relevant now as it was then. It's as relevant here as it is anywhere. This is a book, I believe, a, a really key book for our time. And here's the caveat. It's not because amongst us we're dealing with the same divisions, the same factions, the same impurities, the same carnalities, the same fleshliness. It's not that we're running wild in our gatherings. It's not because 
people have, uh, have written to us with some questions about what kind of foodstuffs they should eat. It, it's not that. But it's because the prevailing culture in Corinth is not dissimilar to the prevailing culture today. It's because Paul is dealing with issues that are so relevant to the church at large in our time. It's because we are in a real battle. We are in a real war and we are not immune from some of the underlying causes. And and I believe this is a book for our time because we need to hear what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us from this letter at this time about community what it means to be a kingdom community, what it means to be people of an alternative culture, what it means to, uh, to truly be a people who are charismatic. So, so all of those things and more are in here for us. It's going to be really good. And it's vital that we, we, we get whatever help we need to ensure that we stay free from all those snares all those entrapments and that we don't get distracted or derailed and that we succeed in what God has given us to do I believe this book will help us so running through the letter as Paul tackles these issues as he corrects errors as he explains things more fully tries to show them something bigger um, is a recurring emphasis on love I think um did a, the geeky thing of looking up how many times the word love is in it. It's about 17 times. Well, it's 17, actually. 17 times. About 16 to 18 times there is mention of love. And um, if you'd put the, the next one up, this is, this is not all of them, but this is some of them. Chapter 2, verse 9. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him, For this reason, I've sent Timothy, my son, whom I love. Other versions say, he's my beloved son. Paul is not afraid to talk about his love for another man, a partner in the work. My son whom I love. Chapter 4, verse 21. Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? We know, chapter 8, verse 1, we know that that we all possess knowledge but here's the thing knowledge puffs up but love builds up love builds up then verses we know well from chapter 13 if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love I'm nothing. I mean, just look at what Paul's saying there. If I have faith that can move mountains, but no love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, there is a little reference there, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And the next sections. Love is patient. We could say this together, couldn't we? Love is kind. It does not envy. Let's, read, let's say this together. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. He goes on then to say a few other things, and he ends that chapter by saying, or ends that section, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love but the greatest is love. I don't think we'd have put them in that order, maybe. The greatest of those is love. Chapter 14, verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Church, let's follow the way of love and let's every single one of us eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Wednesday, is it? Prophetic workshop on Wednesday. Chapter 16. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. This, my version here says, be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like a man. Be strong. Your every action must be done with love. And the last verse of the book says, My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Just put your hand up, would you, if, if, if you would say you're, you're quite familiar with the content of 1 Corinthians. For some it will be brand new, but if, if you kind of got a sense of what's in there, you're quite, you're quite um, familiar with it, yeah. In all that will follow in the book, in all that will follow in this chapter, in this, um, in this epistle, it's vital that we hear Paul's heart. I'm going to come in love. I'm not going to come with a, um, I can't remember what the alternative was there. I'm not going to come that way. I'm going to come in love. Uh, shall I come with a rod of discipline? I'm not going to come with a rod of discipline. I'm going to come with love. Uh, love builds up. Without love, I'm nothing. Love never fails. The greatest of these is love. Follow the way of love. Do everything in love. My love to you all. Um, the antidote to the divisions, to the factions, is love. The motivation to purity is real love. The key to godly marriage is love, agape love, that doesn't keep a record of wrongs, that always believes the best, etc. Treating each other with honor and respect springs from love. Paul's going to talk about lots of really serious issues, things that are going wrong when they have communion together. The solution to that is standing back and preferring one another and loving each other. That the power around the Lord's table depends on love. The key to moving in the gifts of the Spirit when you get into chapters 12, 13, 14 is love. Chapter 13 is, is, is a sandwich in the middle of in the middle 12 and 14 all about the gifts of the Spirit. In the middle is love. And so we come back to this phrase. It is, it is love that will build us up, church. Our church must be characterized by love, express love, demonstrate love, speak love. We can say that we're spirit-filled, Bible-believing, kingdom-advancing, but without love, we're nothing. A resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. We can, we can give everything to the poor, but without love, it counts for nothing. Unless we're full of love... 
None of those things will count for everything for anything. So for me, this is this is the essential um, overlay of all those other things we've been saying about this is us. And let it be true that this is us, that love builds us up. I, I think this 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 new season, this time we're in, this this st- such a strange time in, in the world and and all that God's doing amongst us demands a new emphasis on love. Love for God. I love the way um, the encouragement this morning was just, just to love him, to, to minister to him. That we love God, that we love one another, that's demonstrated amongst us, and we love the world around us. So as we're growing, as we're becoming more diverse, as we're spreading out, as we're investing in other places, as as we're sending ministries into other places, making space for all God wants to do amongst us, cheering each other on, seeking to grow as disciples, uh, being tolerant and patient with one another as we make mistakes, don't always get it right. As we reach out, it's our love that will speak the loudest. Be alert, stand firm in the faith, act like a man, be strong. Your every action must be done with love. Guys, act like men. And let everything be characterized by love. Love for our wives, love for our families, love for our colleagues in work. So against the the, the backdrop of of the prevailing culture in Corinth at that time, this church is going to be exhorted to stand out and build a charismatic kingdom community that's characterized by a new kind of love. And that's why we're spending this time in this book, and and that's why we've called this series Love Builds Up. So that is my intro, added to Chris's intro. So now we're going to go to Paul's intro. So if you turn to chapter 1. And I just want to read the first nine verses and take three things from them. Chapter 1. Yeah, there it is on the screen. So Paul, called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and our brother Sosthenes, so Sosthenes got beaten up in Acts 18. Here he is now um, with Paul in the writing of this letter. To God's church at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called as saints, With all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of God's grace given to you in Christ Jesus. That by him you were made rich in everything, in all speaking and in all knowledge as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ or the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Great words and um, worth reading a few times. And Paul, before he gets into any of his other stuff, 
just wants them to know who they are. Who they are. And and he's lots to say about it. And and I want to um, gather these things together and say, this is them, and this is us, and this is you individually, and they're three words, and they could all be taken wrongly. (laughs) So especially when you see the first one, don't take it personally. Well, do, but only in the right way, okay? So the first thing is, they are, put it up, Adam, weighty. (laughs) They're weighty. And what I mean by that, it's not that they've been overdoing it on the food sacrifice to idols. What I mean is they're substantial. They count. They have an impact. They have something to say. They carry authority. They carry influence. Far more than they realize. And this church, like us, which is weighty, which is substantial, which counts and really matters, have now got to arise with great stature and be who they are. They're weighty. Perhaps you just turn to the person next to you and say, you're weighty. (laughs) In a good way. Qualify it if you need to. You could take all three of my points this morning and go away and tell somebody. They'd think, what kind of church is that? They're weighty. Um, There's a verse in uh, Thessalonians where Paul says, "Um, when we came to you, we we could have come with with authority. Uh, And and the word means weight. We, we, We carry weight. This is substantial. And they're weighty, they're substantial, they have impact, they matter, they count, they have something to say because, and the reference is up there in verse 2, they are God's church in Corinth. This is God's church. His ecclesia, his called out, called together people, and they really matter. They are, this church in Corinth are part of the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose yes. to have a people for himself. Yes. They belong to him and therefore they're not lightweight. They're not irrelevant. They're not insignificant. They really matter. They are key people. They're big hitters. They're weighty. And so are we. I, I think we get some of this but I want us to get more. We really matter. And they are his church at Corinth, or in Corinth, your version might say. In other words, this is a local expression of something universal. They're his church in Corinth. And they're joined with Paul in in a much bigger work, They're part of something bigger. They're not independent. They're not isolated. Paul's going to talk about his relationship with them, which is really crucial for their day and crucial for our day as well. He says that you are saints who've been sanctified in Christ Jesus, verse 2, that they are holy, they're set apart. Um, John 3, Jesus says, uh, when when we're born again, we're born from above. He says elsewhere, your citizenship is in heaven. These people are 
really significant. He says that you've received grace and peace in verse 3. They've received grace. They're receiving grace. They're receiving peace. Verse 4 says, "I I always thank God because of you. It just got me to thinking how many people that we, do, we have no idea, but they thank God because of you. Because they know you. Because you work with them. Because you've encouraged them. Because you pray with them. Because you're there when they need you. They thank God because of you. The grace of God, the peace of God is, is, is amongst us. And many people in this room thank God for one another. Do you, do you, in, your, in your daily devotions and prayers, do you, do you ever spend time thanking God for different people in this room? Yeah, we all do. Thank, thank you, Lord, for the elders in this church. What a blessing. Thank you for their wives. What a blessing. Thank you for the deacons in this church. What a blessing. It's good to count our blessings, but, but we thank God for one another. Paul is, they're a cause. Whatever Paul's about to go on and say, because the Corinthians get a really bad rap sometimes. There was a lot of issues here. But Paul doesn't start with all the things that are wrong. He starts with reminding them, telling them who they are. He's thankful for them. They have received grace and peace. And, um, and they're God's church at, at Corinth. And those four words on the screen there, God's church at Corinth, that kind of encapsulates the heart of the issue that Paul is trying to address. This is the culture clash. Corinth was a center known for lust, sin, vice, luxury, excess, ego, all that boasting, all that culture I tried to describe, which Chris also described. And here in the midst of it, in the midst of that culture, is God's church. God's church in the midst of all that in Corinth. And therefore, they're the most significant people in the city. This people, this church, were planted here, set here, created here by God. He's put his church in Corinth to be a witness to that city, to demonstrate something alternative to that city, to to offer hope. They're in Corinth for Corinth. They're in Corinth to change that culture. And God, um, Corinth is facing catastrophe, but God has a church there. You see what I'm saying? They have a message, they have a gospel for the city. They have good news for the city. God has planted his people there. And I just want to remind us, God so loves the world around us that we're here. That he's planted us here. And that's not just when we meet in this room, in this building, which is irrelevant. You know, it's us that count. But it's when you're in your workplace. God loves your colleagues so much, he's placed you there. God loves your, your mates in college so much, he's put you in the midst of them. You're God's church wherever you are. God's ecclesia, God's called out people. I asked you a few weeks ago why you lived where you lived. Why, why did you buy that house? Why, did, why do you live in that village? Well, I'd like to say it's because God needs his ecclesia there. But in Corinth, at this time, the church is falling short because instead of making an impact in the city, the city's having its impact in them. So Paul has to exhort them to be who they truly are. 
I don't know about you, but when I was in my career job, I always wanted to have more of an influence than be influenced. Of course. It, I, I wanted to be the influence. I wanted to be the, the changer of the culture. And, and sometimes it's so easy, isn't it, to get pressured and um, find yourself, as Paul would say, the world has squeezed you into its mold. You become shaped by the culture rather than shaping the culture. God wants to help us over this series to become men and women who become so confident who we are that we become culture changers, change our friendship groups, etc. We're weighty, substantial, we count, we matter. And um, it's not because of our size, it's because this is God's church. His most significant people here. And as we embrace the, the heart of 1 Corinthians, I want to say let's let love build us up and clothe us with an overwhelming sense of our responsibility to the world that we live in. Amen. They are weighty. Here's the second word that could be taken the wrong way. If you tell your friends what I preached about this morning, please give it proper context. Number two, they are wealthy. They're wealthy. And here's the phrase that Paul uses in verse 5. You have been made rich in everything. Enriched in every way. He says, in all speaking and in all knowledge, as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you, so you do not lack any spiritual gifts. What I want to say, this second little point here, is just really simple. But this church, before Paul deals with any of the abuses, any of the excesses, any of the things that are going wrong, he first just celebrates the fact that they've been made rich in every way. And the word of God over our church for the last several years that we've embraced and seen outworked over and over again is we will lack nothing. We will have all that we need. God has made us rich in every way. Amen. And, um, you know, folks, we're, we're at, there's always a fourth dimension. He says you, you lack no spiritual gifts. He says, first of all, you, you, you lack nothing in speaking. They, they have the word that's needed. That's what it means. They have the word that's needed for the city. You lack nothing in knowledge. We, we, we know far more than we realize sometimes. And he says you lack no spiritual gift. You don't lack any spiritual gifts. All that could be needed... And I want to look, look across this room with me. Just have a good look around. We have in this room everything we need. In this church, everything we need. We lack no spiritual gifts. We need to see a much bigger demonstration of them. Much bigger use of them. Much, we all need to rise up in that. But, we, but it's all here. God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We've tasted of the powers of the age to come. Amen? We sang that this morning. We've tasted of the powers. But there's so much more. And if, it, if, it, if it's just the taster, if it's just the amuse-bouche, I love that word. Not used it in a message for a while. So I thought I'd just say it there. If it's just the taste, if it's just what we've tasted, it's great.
great. But there's so much more. God wants to do something charismatic amongst us that starts to change things. Men and women, boys and girls, students, youth, older members, moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. You lack no spiritual gift, Paul says to them. Now, they're abusing them. They're, They're not handling them right. But I think God can trust us. I don't think we're in danger of running amok. I mean, Andrew has his moments. But generally, we're well behaved. Things are in order. The, the, the change needs to be, there needs to, needs to be a bit more amokness sometimes amongst us. Right. If I can say that, don't quote me. Don't tell Chris I said that. They lack no spiritual gifts. And, and they're in the midst of Corinth. And you might say, well, I'm in the midst of my school. I'm in the midst of my college. All around me is a culture so alien to what the word teaches, to what I know to be true. Things that are just announced and pronounced as normal. I'm a bigot if I don't believe them. Surrounded by incoming waves. But you have the Holy Spirit. You are not alone. You have the Holy Spirit, as they did. We lack nothing. God's held nothing back. God holds nothing back. And I appreciate in some things we need to uh, press in and learn how to be more intimate and, and how to wait on God, how to, to discover some keys to break through. But I do know he's a good father and he's given us everything we need. And we have to count our blessings. Count our blessings. Go for a walk this afternoon and just start to count your blessings. And see how many you get up to. And so I I trust that this series over these weeks will result in our wealth, the riches he's placed within us, not talking about money at all, but our wealth, everything we have, our wealth will be poured out in acts of love, acts of service, acts of kindness. They are weighty, they're wealthy, and the third word which also must not be taken the wrong way, is this. They're waiting. They're waiting. How many of us enjoyed one voice? 23. Yeah. One of the emphases in the, in the preaching was this. Jesus is coming back. <laughs> Jesus is coming back. And Paul, right in this introduction, says this in verse 7. You do not lack any spiritual gift. As you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus. I love that. He puts, these, he puts the things of the Spirit in the context of waiting for Jesus to return. The big word is eschatological. The gifts of the Spirit are part of the time we're in as we wait for the Lord to return. That, that, is, the, that is some of the tasting of the powers of the age to come, of which there's so much more. And we mustn't forget our whole purpose is to prepare the way for this return of Jesus. Jesus said, Elijah will come and describe John the Baptist coming. And Elijah must come, describes the church coming. John, to prepare the way for Jesus to come the first time. The church, us folks, to prepare the way for Jesus 
to come again. That's what we're here for. It's not about um, new friendship groups. It's a benefit. We're being called out to come together, to be his people, to prepare the way for the Lord to return. And he says, you're waiting. While you wait, while you eagerly wait for the Lord's return. And it's not a passive waiting. This is how you must not take this the wrong way. It's not to just wait, you know, wait and do nothing and just wait and wait. It's it's to be on alert, to be waiting, to be ready, to be on standby as citizens of heaven, temporary residents, waiting for him to return. Peter says, in the light of of his, his certain return, what kind of people ought you to be? And the answer is, you ought to live godly and holy lives. We're waiting. Letting love build us up. Waiting for his return. Actively waiting. Knowing, verse 9, he says, God is faithful. By him you were called into, his, into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He, I beg your pardon. Verse um, 8. I beg your pardon. He will also confirm you to the end. Or strengthen you to the end. Uh, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's loads we could say about that, and I think Mike might pick up some of these things, maybe at some future point. Just a thought, Mike. (laughs) Mike knows why I'm saying that. (laughs) Mike was all set to share with you last week on 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. Then we had a chat, and I said, oh, I'm going to talk about that next week. So Mike, this is how amazing this guy is, (laughs) spent Saturday re-hearing from God something fresh that he shared with you last week. He did a brilliant job. Well done, Mike. Very good, too. Absolutely very good, too. Well done, Mike. So this is the truth about Corinth. They're weighty, they're wealthy, and they're waiting. They're God's people planted in that city. They lack nothing. They're actively waiting for Christ to come. And Paul is going to say in this letter, don't do this, do this, be who you really are. And folks, my prayer is that as we proceed over these few weeks, months, however long it takes, that God will use this book to speak to us. And and if I could put it this way, the book... The book will be the backdrop to all that God wants to do. Because my sense is he's bringing all the vital ingredients in. And he's going to build upon what is here. And there's going to be a powerful new season in the word. And we're going to see his love at work. Love building up. And that will be on your lips, that phrase. Love builds up. Love builds up. We'll be active in in that. And that we will see him shape here amongst us even more a charismatic kingdom community that is here in the midst of a different culture, having an influence, being weighty, expressing its wealth while we wait for the Lord Jesus to return. Amen. Amen. Lord, we just want to thank you for what you want to do over these coming weeks. 
And Lord, I pray that we will take hold of things that we, we know. But Lord, we know knowledge simply just puffs us up. We want love to build us up. Take hold of, of just how significant and substantial and impacting we are. Of how much authority you've given us. Lord, that we lay hold of, of how weighty we are, how much we count, how significant we are. I pray that every one of our students and young people will know how significant they are in their school and college. That we will be those who display wealth, spiritual wealth. Lord, that we will be generous in giving what you've given to us, of sharing, of of letting the blessing flow from us to those that we live with, work with, are educated with, Lord. And I want to pray, Lord, that we will do it all with a growing sense that we're not here just passing time, but we are here waiting for the day of your return. I pray that that reality will grip us. It won't be a theological truth. It will be a reality in our lives that we live as those set apart, called out. Lord, loving our world as much as you do, but but here to have the influence into our world and not the other way around. So Lord, would you, I pray, really be amongst us, with us, blessing us over this season. And may love build us up into all that you want for us. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.